You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 97, Sam and Lou, Bullet Mustang. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today, Sam and Lou channel the King of Cool and the movie Bullet as they put you back into the cockpit of that legendary dark Highland Green Mustang. This is the Sam and Lou Show, co-hosted by Cars of Carlisle crew members Lou Genacopoulos and Sam Faringer. In this week's CFC Network Intercast, Sam and Lou take a deep dive into what made the Bullet the most expensive Mustang ever sold at auction. The fellas unpack the iconic movie car chase, the modifications made to the car, as well as the connection to Steve McQueen and the disappearance and reemergence of that 68 fastback sting we all know and love. Strap in and get ready to find out what makes a 1968 Mustang worth over $3.4 million. So let's get revved up. Hello and welcome back, Cubers, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren, and this week we are going to go to Sam and Lou, actually at Studio C, and the guys are going to do the intercast featured all on the 68 Mustang in the Bullet movie with Steve McQueen, and as you heard in the opener, they're going to touch on the car and the car chase scene, the vehicle itself the disappearance of it and how it was found once again so i think you're really going to enjoy it. the guys put a lot of effort into the research that they do and i thank them for all their hard work and uh, a special thanks to uh, also porsche mechanicsburg who is our headline corporate automotive sponsor i want to thank them for all they do for helping make this show possible but to you our cubers thank you so much for always being faithful loyal committed listening each tuesday wednesday means so much thank you for putting the word out and sharing we keep growing on our instagram uh, and followers there as well as facebook and just the emails and all the support we receive from you keep that coming we love hearing that we want to continue to make this podcast everything you hope for and uh, you really own it and we're just the ones uh, steering from up front so, before we jump to Sam and Lou in Studio C, let's do this week's trivia question. In the 1968 Ford Mustang, as the automotive silver screen star of the film Bullet, face it, it's the car, it's the, it's the Stang itself that is uh, really the, the key uh, star. Uh, what was the size of the engine uh, in, that, uh, in that fastback that Steve McQueen drove? We'll have that answer at the back end of the show. And for now, let's... Send it to the guys in Studio C. Thank you, Darren, for that introduction. Sam, welcome back to another installment of the Lou and Sam slash Sam and Lou podcast. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Lou. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Let's uh, get right into it. Today we are talking about Oscar-winning film, Bullet, and subsequently the car that made Bullet famous. 
outside of Steve McQueen himself, the 1968 Ford Mustang GT Fastback. We are going to take a deep dive into the actual movie, how the car and ultimately movie legacy became what it is today, and subsequently the record-setting performance at auction held earlier this year at Meekum Kissimmee, where this iconic Mustang, although not a perfectly restored example, uh, rather an original warrior type, patinaed, down and hiding, back in real life type automobile sold for millions of dollars to a mystery buyer, which is kind of cool considering the car's legacy and how it disappeared from the public eye for well over 30 years. But uh, Sam, if it's all right with you, let's start with the movie and set the stage there and proceed right into it. Sure. Yeah. So the movie Bullet, uh, released in 1968. It's a movie that starred Steve McQueen, uh, you know, the king of cool at the time, uh, Robert Vaughn, Jacqueline Bissett, Don Gordon, and Simon Oakland. It had a budget of $4 million and did $42.3 million at the box office. The movie went for 113 minutes, and I actually did the math on this. The chase scene of the movie, which is, I believe it's 10 minutes and 53 seconds long, was 8.85% of the movie. So almost 10% of the movie was like the notorious chase scene that everybody remembers. And who said we're just a car podcast? We do math here. <laughs> so the movie was critically well-received. Uh, it's been considered one of the thousand best movies ever made by New York Times. Or the Rotten Tomatoes score is 97%, which is insane, and has an 85% audience score. Just absolutely bonkers to me. And Roger Ebert, uh, the late Roger Ebert, Gave it four stars. Um, now, Lou, I sat down and watched this movie. Can you tell me your thoughts on this movie? Uh, that's what I was just going to ask you. You recently rewatched it. I've seen it years ago. And I remember vividly walking away from outside of that 10-minute chase scene, it being one of the worst films I've ever watched. Yeah, holy crap. All right, so I rented this movie off of Amazon Prime because I was like, well, we're going to do this. I haven't seen it. I've probably seen the movie five or six times over my lifetime, um, but I wanted a fresh look at it. So I sat down, I jotted down notes, and just watched the movie, and boy, was it tough to get through. It was not a good movie. I don't know. I still think that like people are remembering the chase scene, and they're like, man, that was cool. And also, Steve McQueen was really cool, so that movie must have been awesome. And it was not. It was just not a good movie. But like I said, Roger Ebert gave it four stars when it came out. It won the Academy Award for Best Film Editing, um, uh, for Best Sound, uh, had a, like a ton of other awards, which is insane to me. I just – I don't get it, but I did – so as much as I watched the movie, I went through the entire 113 minutes, almost two hours of that movie. But I did spend almost an hour rewatching just the chasing. Um, so for that alone, yes, it was a phenomenal movie. But boy, Which that was tough to get through. Which is funny because the official, non-official movie of the Cars of Carlisle podcast, of course, is Ford vs. Ferrari, which also won two Oscars this past year. Shout out Ford vs. Ferrari. Four similar awards, uh, Best Sound Editing, I believe, and another small Oscar. Um, what it What is cool, though, I didn't realize how well it was received, both critic and audience, until you told me that earlier before we started here. The movie is tough to get through. It's got some interesting parts. I mean, obviously, the chase scene and when we get into discussing the actual movie for 1968, 1969, in the time frame that this was filmed, 
there was a lot of Hollywood first in terms of how they actually accomplished the chase scene in different parts of the movie. So I, I see from back then why it would be so well received and so successful, but it's, yeah, it's not cr- a good movie to watch. It's crazy because I was looking, you know, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm just reading like older reviews from now that are looking back on the movie and they're like, oh yeah, it wasn't that great. Or it was a good movie because of this, that no, when it came out, people absolutely love this movie. I don't see it. Um, you know, it, maybe it's a different generation and, you know, I would assume a lot of older guys who are going to be listening to this are probably like you guys are out of your minds. It was a phenomenal movie and there might be a portion of nostalgia attached to that. But like I said earlier, I did take a bunch of notes. So Lou, I want you to, we pulled from what Wikipedia or Rotten Tomatoes, what the, the synopsis of the movie is. Can you run through what like the official synopsis is? And then I want to give you what I wrote down as I watched the movie. Sure. Senator Walter Chalmers is aiming to take down mob boss Pete Ross with the help of testimony from the criminal's hothead brother Johnny, who's in protective custody in San Francisco under the watch of police lieutenant Frank Bullitt, played by Steve McQueen himself. When a pair of mob hitmen enter the scene, Bullitt follows their trail through a maze of complications and double crosses. This thriller includes one of the most famous car chases ever filmed. Yeah, Lou, so that's the, uh, the like official, like, back of the DVD box uh, description of what it is. But I do want to give you my notes. Uh, I just watched the movie and kind of jotted down notes as I went. I'm going to try my best not to just read this off to you, but, you know, put in kind of what I remember. But I think I got pretty much all of it. So Steve McQueen, uh, who plays Frank Bullitt and his two detective buddies are supposed to be watching a gangster until he goes to court for something. Not really sure. Gangsters show up at a motel that they're holding the gangster at and shoot bullets, detective buddies, and his boss gets like real mad at him. So detective work happens. They just do – I don't know. They look through some paperwork and find some stuff. McQueen drives his Mustang and eventually chases a Dodge Charger. This is where the only important parts of the movie happen as far as I'm concerned. So they chase him through San Francisco, and the best 10 minutes of cars in a movie ever happens. And – Honestly, I wish I would have just wrote about that, which I did write about it, and we'll talk about it later. But the rest of the movie, you could skip the other 100 minutes. Regardless, end of the chase, McQueen ends up murdering these two dudes um, with his car, and he just, like, knocks them into a gas station. They blow up, and they, they don't really talk about it. It just kind of moves on. Uh, it's their fault, so I, I don't really don't really blame him, but – McQueen then gets in his argument with his wife or girlfriend, not really sure. She tells him he lives in a sewer. Don't really know what that means. Some more crazy stuff happens. Uh, There's an imposter. McQueen gets in trouble with the boss again. They do some more detective stuff. Pretty sure a couple other people die. Then McQueen confronts a gangster in an airplane. Then chases him through an airplane. Then through an airport under the tarmac. Climbs, like, runs under, uh, like, moving planes and stuff, which actually he filmed himself. Also insane. Um, then he just shoots him straight up, shoots a gangster in front of a bunch of people in a vestibule, dude was cornered and just kills him pretty much ends with McQueen's wife and or girlfriend in his bed because she's stayed there. So that's the movie. Um, as I saw it, I think that's pretty, pretty close to what they actually put out. Yeah. Honestly, thinking back to it, I feel like I felt that the movie ended after the charger crashed and burned, which clearly isn't true. Oh no! It, that lovely synopsis. No, it kept going. I was really hoping that was the end, and it wasn't. Um, so I sat through the rest of it. 
Well, let's get into the reason we're actually here. Anything else movie-wise you want to cover in terms of the background, the critical reception? Nope. Or can we just nope. get into the cars? Nope. Let's please talk about this chasing because, oh my god, I watched it so many times over and over and over again. And it is the best chase scene ever. It is phenomenal. Oh, it's awesome. So let's set the stage to first with the two star cars. So for the filming, there is a black 68 Dodge Charger RT that they actually use two of them for the movie, a hero car and a stunt car, if you want to say, as well as two Highland Green 68 Ford Mustang Fastbacks. Uh, both were, again, a hero car and a stunt car, although both were kind of used interchangeably. It, it's rumored that one car each had a roll cage installed. I have not been able to see any of that in the film breakdowns of some of the different stunts, Sam. I don't know if you came across anything. No, and I had heard that too, but like when I was looking back, I was trying to keep a critical eye on the car itself. Um, I had to watch that scene over and over again because you get wrapped up in it and you have to kind of take yourself away and just watch the, the car. I didn't see any evidence of a cage. Yeah, and, and both, uh, both cars for each star – the Charger and the Mustang were oversaw in terms of what they did modification-wise by Max Balchowski, who will have a, another role in this shortly. But the actual chasing itself, right? You said it lasted, what, about 10 minutes? Take us through how they did it, where they did it, some things you might have observed while watching it. Let's start there, and then we'll get into the actual modifications made by into each car. Yeah, so the chase scene from start to finish is – uh, 10 minutes and 53 seconds, I think. I mean, depending on how you clock it. Um, but for that 11 minutes of footage, it took almost three weeks to shoot, uh, which is insane. And Lou, I knew you found this interesting, so I'm going to let you talk about it a little more. But they actually filmed that not on a, a set. Uh, they filmed that in San Francisco. Yeah, it is the first known car chase or, or first prominent car chase like that in Hollywood to not be filmed on a set where the mayor of San Francisco at the time basically gave them free reign to do whatever they wanted for three weeks. Steve McQueen's son was shown on a, a Fast and Loud episode, which is a, a TV series on the former Discovery Channel, now Motor Trend, I guess, where he broke down. He was a, a kid on set. He was like 10 years old, but he was breaking down how they would have to reshoot and shoot based on fog, weather conditions, but for literally three weeks they would shut anywhere from four to six blocks down at a given time uh, for some of those iconic scenes that we saw. Yeah. And the mayor, so at the time San Francisco wasn't known for like um, bringing in big budget Hollywood films. So the mayor was really trying to be like, Hey, we want to bring somebody in um, and kind of gave them carte blanche to do whatever they wanted because he wanted such a big Hollywood film there. So like, I doubt you would ever, ever be able to do this ever again um but i mean it the miles that they covered in san francisco with free reign is insane um like the actual the chase itself is non-continuous so maybe when like steve's driving and he turns he might take a left onto a certain street but actually the next part of the the filming is like 10 miles away in real life um so it's just a bunch of like cut up scenes to make it um if you're trying to follow his actual the actual car uh, in real life, you're, it's impossible to do. But, I mean, they had just such free reign to do whatever they wanted. 
Yeah, I think it's also important to note that although the movie, we don't think it's good, and I don't think a lot of people really think it's good, it has 4 million views on YouTube, just the 10-minute chasing, so still widely reviewed and admired today, and just yeah, how they did it, to your point, with the, the non-continuous, but it looks like it's all won, hence why it won an Oscar for it. I think I'm about 500,000 of those views, at least after this last week. Yeah, um, give me another 500 on that. <laughs> All right, so a couple of, like little fun facts about this. So uh, in the film, they were scripted to do about 75, 80 miles per hour, but it's well documented that they did over like 110 in some of the chase scenes, um, which again is crazy because Steve McQueen did all – not all, but did a lot of his own stunts for this where he was actually the one driving the car. And there is – you can kind of tell – uh, knowing this later, but you can kind of tell rewatching that the difference between Steve McQueen and the stunt driver. So there's one major difference, and that is the rearview mirror. If the rearview mirror is tilted down where you can see the face and that's Steve McQueen, it's Steve McQueen driving. If it's tilted up so you wouldn't be able to see the reflection, that's the stunt driver. And you would also notice Steve McQueen, uh, when they were having the exterior camera shots, almost looked a little uncomfortably leaned out towards the driver window because he wanted his face to be seen because, hey, I'm doing these stunts. So I thought that was pretty cool. But knowing it and watching it over and over, you can kind of start to see those little differences. So I thought that was pretty neat. Director Peter Yates said in a, an interview about the movie that McQueen did as much as he can get away with, and he estimated it was probably 90% of the stunts total in the movie. Yeah, and this – so I wish I had the quote for this, and I don't. Um, but there was something – I talked about he was running under a plane. And um, there's a quote from somebody, and they're like, couldn't have you gotten a dummy to do that? Um, you know, referring to somebody other than Steve McQueen. And the director was like, we did. <laughs> so, you know, he did everything he, he possibly could. There's a pretty famous, like, portion in the car chase. It's the reverse burnout. Uh, it's where Steve McQueen, you know, goes the wrong way down a street. Hits it in reverse real quick, backs up, rips a burnout. It's awesome. It sounds great. It's beautiful to watch. Uh, completely. The wheel utterly, hop is incredible there. Yeah, completely and utterly unscripted. Actually, McQueen missed the turn. So like that wasn't supposed to happen. That was just happened, you know, as a, a, a happenstance and, and made it into the movie. It looked awesome. And when they recreated that on that Fast and Loud episode with his son, they kept breaking second gear or first gear, I should say when he did the reverse scene and then slammed it into first to go forward and make the burnout. So they found out that McQueen probably did it in second gear to not break the synchro and ultimately destroy the trans. Uh, Cause the wheel hop is unbelievable. And it, hey, that's what a 68 Mustang did. If you did that, it wasn't scripted to your point. But isn't that crazy? Because that was one take he would have known because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't scripted. He wasn't trying to, so he intentionally and Steve McQueen is, has always been known as, you know, a good driver. So it's not like this is out of the realm of possibility. But, you know, he threw it in second and did it when they went to recreate it. They were throwing in first and blowing a transmission up. So it's kind of crazy. He already knew, you know, that that wouldn't wouldn't hold. Right. It just worked out perfectly. Yeah. And and it's not like the cars were stock if you just want to get right into that. Well, I do. But before we do, I have one more important thing um, about the chase scene itself. And I think this is what makes it so utterly famous. So originally when it was scripted, the scene was supposed to be set uh, to a score, you know, it was supposed to have music behind it. Um, and the composer, the guy who did all the, the music for the movie was the one who actually suggested that 
because of how the car sounded to not put any music in. So that entire 11 minute stretch, there's no talking, there's no music. All you hear is tires screaming, engines revving, brakes. I mean, all you hear is American muscle and it's absolutely phenomenal. Trivia question, Sam. Did they input any additional engine audio or was that the actual 390 screaming or 440 for the charger? I feel like I'm cheating because I know the answer because you told me right before we started. But uh, had you asked me without telling me that earlier, I would have said, yeah, there's that's the 390 and the 440. Um, But Lou, what is the actual answer to that question? They took engine snippets from a, a high revving 427 Ford from Lamar, you hear a uh, double clutching at some point and that four speed did not double clutch. And it's literally a 427 in a Ford GT 40 shout out Ford versus Ferrari screaming at 7,000 RPM, which is just cool. Uh, I still believe that some of the audio input in the Dukes of Hazard TV show were also Lamar write overs. So uh, it's pretty neat. Well, it sounded phenomenal. So glad they did it. So, Louis, let's talk more uh, about like the car itself, um, the actual what they put into the real life car for the movie. Like, tell me a little bit about the modifications to the hero car and the stunt car. You know, what did they do with these vehicles? Yep. So the Chargers, I don't have too much on outside of one gentleman thinking that there was a cage in one of them. Obviously, if you look at a 440 Mopar, it did have an A833 four-speed transmission. So they were pretty burly. I mean, it was essentially just a truck drivetrain and a passenger car, right? So, And they also weren't doing a majority of the stunts in terms of what cameras were focusing in on. But both, char- or both Mustangs were heavily modified. So if you look at the stuff that you'll see automatically, uh, both were 390 cars. They were ordered identically sequential vins deluxe interior black uh interior and to our knowledge max belchowski had racing cams installed in both fords he milled the heads modified the ignition systems installed the holly carburetor uh, holly air cleaner and he also bulked up suspensions on um, all four cars to improve strength handling and control the scene that i mentioned with the wheel hop was probably done in second gear to keep from shattering the transmission. There was camera mounts on the Ford that underneath the chassis, like right where the door meets the quarter panel on both sides, as well as the front and rear bumpers to install cameras as they're driving. Uh, pretty neat. Um, something that Sean, who we'll talk about later, uh, who owned the car most recently, outlined in a, an interview with CBS recently as they were promoting the car and displaying it and that famous burnout scene as well as a couple others a lot of smoke comes from that left rear tire it wasn't all real they had a smoke machine installed and in the rear uh, inner wheel well through the trunk they did cut somewhere between like a two and four inch uh, hole and there's also stuff done in terms of interior there was a, a comfort grip steering wheel that was uh, custom made that are extremely expensive to find today. It's somewhere between like $25 and $2,800. Uh, an EFFPI wheel. I've never really heard of them. Uh, they're extremely in demand, but it is what it is. The stock 68 Mustang steering wheel is pretty unattractive. So 
it was a 67 Shelby Mustang wood wheel that they covered in black leather, which are very hard to find originals, hence for the expensive reproductions. The wheels were 15 inch torque thrust American racing wheels. But if you look at them really in depth, they're a dark charcoal gray, which was a GM pattern for Corvette that uh, was made literally for Corvettes that were being raced on like SCCA, uh, which is pretty neat that they were able to fit them to a Mustang bull pattern. I don't know exactly how that was done. A lot of the trim was blacked out on the Mustang or greened out essentially body color. Uh, for example, the rocker trim, the uh, driver's side door mirror was replaced with a round mirror because what is believed that Mustangs had notoriously bad blind spots. So it was for a safety precaution uh, as well as the grill. They detrim the whole thing they it actually looks like they used a 67 grill because there was less trim mounting points but it was probably just a, a detrimmed 68 grill and i believe that's about it these were essentially day two street cars that had a cam and ignition and a carburetor um and some stealthy detrimming with a cool steering wheel but uh to me outside of a shelby a 67 shelby it's the best looking Mustang I've ever seen. And it oh, yeah, just looks tough. Yeah. It's kind of funny. You mentioned like the smoke machine because I didn't actually really know that prior to going into this. Um, I had written, I put some notes in here uh, as I was watching and I had written that uh, the reverse burnout only leaves one mark. So I put no posse. Uh, so it makes sense, but there was smoke coming out of both wheels, which I didn't understand, but I also, it's a movie. I didn't think much about it. So it makes sense that there was a smoke, sh- smoke machine back there. And uh, I know we say British Racing Green because that's just the common version of it, but the Ford factory color and how we should refer to this car, it was a Highland Green car for our Mustang purists. Correct. So, Louis, there was four cars total in this. Um, Obviously, we're talking about the Bullet Mustang because it just went up for auction and did insane numbers. Uh, What happened to all four cars uh, after filming? Yeah, so... To our knowledge, both chargers were essentially destroyed on set. Um, Obviously, one burned in a gasoline-style fire when it hit the gas station. We're just going to assume that both cars were deemed beyond repair. One car was repainted and sold off and then subsequently disappeared in terms of the Mustang. That then reappeared in probably the main focus of this show. Uh, The other one went back to Max Balachowski after production ceased he ended up deeming the car beyond repair and it landed in a california scrap scrapyard and was pretty much thought that it was destroyed for years until just a, a few years ago five or six years ago it wound up found in mexico a gentleman bought them out of a mexico scrapyard two identical 68 mustangs not both bullets only one turned out to be a bullet car and was having having it restored by a really well-known Eleanor recreation restorer. Uh, Eleanor is the car from Gone in 60 Seconds, a 67 GT500. That is a custom-built car with a body kit and a really, really cool Mustang. Yeah. But And Lou, wasn't the guy who was doing that, wasn't he looking for an Eleanor car when he found the bullet? Like, that's why he was going to get that car, not yeah, I mean, for the bullet. Like, he was looking for a car to make into an Eleanor, Eleanor tribute car, right? Yep. So, uh, so Ralph Garcia owns a restoration shop that 
specializes in building qualified Eleanor replicas. They go for a ton of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars. He had a buyer uh, and a customer partner, Hugo Sanchez, who purchased both rotting Mustangs that were in a Mexico junkyard for $5,000 total. And as they were restoring one, uh, Ralph Garcia was kind of like, huh, this is odd. It's got a lot of characteristics of a bullet car. And he knew that there was two and both were unaccounted for at the time. So Garcia ends up contacting Kevin Marty for if you don't know who Kevin Marty is and you're a Mustang guy, then you probably really don't know Mustangs. But Marty is basically the end-all be-all guy when it comes to authenticating any and every Mustang. He is the encyclopedia for them. If you have a Marty report, your car is as guaranteed documented as if it came from Ford's, from Henry Ford's desk. I mean, literally that is the prominence he has. So to our knowledge, Marty knew about the other bullet Mustang, but this one was still unaccounted for. He flew down to Ralph Garcia's shop in Southern California. It's almost sound like the Mexico border and authenticated that this car was the second bullet Mustang, not the hero car, the one that would have had the cage in it or the stunt car, which is still being restored. It was being restored at the time. So it wasn't wearing any of its original paint or any of the original bullet stuff. It did not have an engine, but they decided to restore the car fully. And to my knowledge, it's still owned in partnership with Hugo Sanchez and Ralph Garcia. Although it was always to be deemed not as valuable as the other bullet because of its unoriginality, which this article I'm reading here that outlines it, it is from uh, July 19th, 2018. This is literally months before the other bullet resurfaces. And, and in this article, Marty hints that he knows where that other car is and that it does exist. He's just, he has a non-disclosure agreement. He can't talk about it. So that's three or four cars accounted for, two destroyed, both chargers. One bullet Mustang that spent most of its life between a California and Mexican desert. And then the car owned by the Kiernan family, which is our bright and shining star that we'll focus on and, and take us out on. So, Sam, tell me about the Kiernans, how they came in possession of the most famous bullet, the one that was in the majority of the movie, the one that still wore its scars from when it was wrecked and the one that disappeared and reappeared and has now seemed to disappear again. Yeah, so the, the bullet car, um, sometimes referred to as the 559, uh, that's the last of the VIN. The stunt car was the 558, which was part of the way that they were able to track down that this was the actual bullet car with the, uh, the sequential VINs and all that. Um, so after the filming of Bullet, the 559 or the hero car, which from here on out I'm just going to refer, refer to as the Mustang or the Bullet, was repainted by Precision Auto Body in Hollywood, California, and I think they spent a little over $900, uh, yeah, actually $920.16 uh, to be repainted and repaired a little bit. Um, and this and was right was, after the movie? Yeah, this was right after the, the movie was, was wrapped, pretty much. From there, they sold it to, uh, they being Warner Brothers, sold it to an employee, Robert Ross. Uh, he had the car and drove it around, had it registered in California until about 1970, where he then sold it to a man named Frank uh, Maranca, and I apologize if I'm getting that wrong. And the car got shipped from California over to New Jersey, and uh, 
the detective uh, basically used the car here and there uh, for, until 1974, and him and his wife sold the car uh, to purchase a Chevy Vega station wagon, uh, which looking back, boy, what a decision you made there, Frank. Sound investment, Frank. <laughs> so Sean Kiernan is the guy who owned it and the guy who sold it at the Mecham auction. His father was the guy who purchased it. Robert Kiernan uh, bought the Mustang in 1974, and he actually bought it from a road and track uh, classified ad. Um, it was just a, a little blurb ad uh, that basically said 1968 Bullet, which so you know, Bullet was spelled incorrectly in the ad. It was spelled B-U-L-L-E-T-T. So 1968 Bullet Mustang driven by Steve McQueen in the movie Bullet, also spelled wrong. British Racing Green, which we know is actually Highland Green, four-speed, new tires, 19,000 miles, mint condition, can be documented, best offer, and then had a phone number with it. So allegedly when uh, when questioned about this, the detective had said Bob Kiernan was the only person to have called about this. And what, what we need to realize that, you know, thinking about it now, would be like, oh, my God, why would you not call about a famous car like that? Um at the time, movie cars just weren't desirable. Nobody cared. And before I go on a little bit more about this, Lou, I, can you tell me a bit about what makes it so special that there were only two cars used for this? Well, I mean, you look at other series, the Dukes of Hazard, for example. They went through, I mean, for the first season alone, there was eight Chargers for six episodes. This was a full movie, one. Two, throughout the filming, the first uh, I guess seven, well, there were six seasons over, I think seven years. There's anywhere from 40 to 60 Dodge Chargers that they went through. And just the fact alone that two cars were used in a high speed open road pursuit for 11 minutes total of, of actual film screen time for one to exist and to be at this point used as a daily driver and will continue to be as we could talk about it. That's significant, right? Um, people don't really think about that. You don't think about a iconic movie car being just someone's daily driver and pride and joy, but that's how it was used. And the fact that it, one, survived, and two, is now being sold for an astonishingly low price, although a high price for a used car, reportedly, we'll see. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, so you said 40 or 60 for the Dukes of Hazard. I actually I looked into it a little bit more. Um, there was over now this is over all of the shows, all the movies, everything. They they used over 300 Dodge Chargers, 300 of them. Now, granted, that's a ton of screen time uh, that these cars are being used, a ton of stunts. You know, obviously Bullet didn't have that, but it is kind of crazy to only have two cars for the amount of damage that they put the cars through for the length of time that they were on screen, again, almost 10% of the movie, um, getting beat up, you know, driven hard. So it, it is kind of crazy that, you know, only two cars were used there. Definitely. So Kiernan stumbles across Sir Frank's ad in Road and Track. What does he do? Buy the car, puts it away? So first off, I, I do want to say there is a little bit of confusion um, when Kiernan sold the car, when sorry, Sean Kiernan's, when he sold the car at uh, the auction, he had mentioned that the car had been sold for $3,500. Um, I, I believe him. I don't see why I wouldn't. But there are a lot of reports that that car actually, when uh, his father Bob had bought it, 
was sold for 6000 Who knows? It really doesn't matter at this point. Um, but the car actually was bought to be a daily driver. So uh, the Kiernans at the time lived in New Jersey, and then the car eventually ended up in Tennessee. But they drove it around um, up until 1980, so about six years of driving it around as a daily car. Uh, and they actually bought it to replace their MG at the time. So the only reason they, you know, parked the car indefinitely was the clutch went out, I believe, while Bob Kiernan's wife was driving it uh, in 1980. And I think it had about 65,000 miles on it. Pretty much just parked it and, you know, just kind of it went into the barn. And then over the next, you know, 20 years or so, the car disappeared. So with the advent of the Internet, uh, there became a bunch of rumors and stuff where Bob and Sean knew they had the car. They were just kind of sitting there, had a bunch of ideas and plans and even started working on the car to re- refab it and never got around to it. So the car just kind of became a myth that lived in the Kiernan's garage um, pretty much up until a few years ago. Yeah, so we're at a point right from 1974-ish to 1980s. Kiernan's wife, who is a school teacher, is driving a big block, four-speed, famous movie car. Modded out car, too. Like, I mean, it's yeah. not like – this thing isn't like stock off, you know, off the dealership a lot. Like, For those of you who live in the Northeast, uh, winter and rear-wheel drive, they don't go well. But she did it. She didn't care. Rear-wheel drive with that horsepower. <laughs> right. Um, and, and then we have – so – Kiernan is in an interview. He's like, we weren't hiding the car. It's not like we were doing it intentionally. Just life happened. Life got in the way. It got pushed aside. It was in a, a good storage area. There was some stuff stolen off it throughout the years. The original air cleaner was one item being that, but it just sat it, and they plotted and, you know, decided that, Hey, someday we're going to do something with this car. But I think what was most important is when Sean ended up, fixing it which he did do a a mechanical restoration prior to the car's public reappearance he decided not to paint it not touch the interior just to leave it as is as close to it was back in 68 with that one repaint and you know it wasn't like they had a a professional repaint restore done on it it still wore a lot of the scars that were incurred during the movie yeah and i think if you're listening to this podcast that you probably understand that life does get in the way of some of our projects um you know cars sit and this just happened to be one um that was worth a little more than most of ours in 2014 uh bob kiernan passed away and sean his son inherited the vehicle i don't want to get too deep into this story you can look it up on your own if you want to but the story of how sean got to the to the revealing of this vehicle is pretty insane he essentially was with his boss one day and was talking you know uh, the boss was talking about a car and he was like oh yeah you know we have a car it kind of looks like the bullet mustang and they get through get to talking the boss was like well i'm actually making a movie about that um you know it sounds like the bullet and he goes well it is the bullet and then they end up like i mean it gets it just it's it's kind of an incredible just all these weird connections that happen. Um, you know, if you want to look look into it further, but essentially they get hooked up with Mike Berardi, who was uh, Ford's global director of service operations, um, to come up with an idea of how they're going to reveal it. And Mike Berardi was pretty much pounding the pavement with 
like top level Ford executives of, hey, we got to do this. We got to, you know, get some fanfare around this. Uh, let's do something special for it. So it was decided between Berardi, Sean, and I'm sure a multitude of other people to reveal the the bullet Mustang at the 2018 Detroit Auto Show, and that just so happened to be a conjunction with the 50th anniversary of the Bullet and the release of Ford's 2019 Mustang Bullet Edition. So obviously very fortuitous that this was the time that, you know, Sean decided to to come out with this car, but I'm sure that had a big, big impact on, on the final sale price. Oh, sure. And then its U.S. tour just kind of skyrocketed. It was uh, it's a national registered uh, historical vehicle. It was on display at the Smithsonian, the uh, Washington Monument. It, it didn't it literally with Ford did an entire world tour. And the Kiernans at the time were, hey, we're kind of undecided what to do with the car. You know, it's part of our family. We don't look at it like a car. We look at it like a, a member of our family and, and an honor to Sean's father and uh, Sean's mother. So it, it really is unique, but hey, if I own one of the most iconic automobiles in American history, I'm going to be looking over my shoulder every second. You're at that point a caretaker of history, not just a car. So it was uh, announced in the fall of 19 that it was going to go up for auction at Meekum's biggest inaugural auction that they kick off every January at Kissimmee. And it did not disappoint. Uh, Sam, we got to watch it live. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah it just happened to <laughs> not be. Not in Florida. <laughs> just happened to be up in Scranton uh, when it was on. And that was, that was a good, like, hour as we were counting down the time waiting for it to come up on the block. I, I really liked that. Yeah, if our bosses are listening, it went off about Friday at 1.45. We were working. Sure. So <laughs> before we keep going about uh, kissing me, about anything else, uh, there is something – it's pretty cool that I wanted to bring up about the 1970s and um, Kiernan and Steve McQueen. So Steve McQueen actually attempted two times to get the car back from Kiernan. The first one, he had gotten uh, Bob Kiernan's number from Detective uh, Maranka and called him and said, hey, you know, we want to buy the car, but was told, no, thanks. We're not interested in selling. So. You know, obviously Steve McQueen not used to getting told no. He's not quite that kind of guy. So he sent a letter, and there's a copy of this letter that went around in the uh, was it the 2019 Ford tour of the vehicle. Um, it was a letter signed by Steve McQueen, and I- I'll read the letter to you. Uh, you can take what you want from it, but no wonder Bob Kiernan didn't sell it back to him. Uh, it goes as follows: Dear Mr. Kiernan, again, I would like to appeal to you to get back my '68 Mustang. I would like to keep it in the family in its original condition as it was used in the film rather than have it restored, which is simply personal with me. I would be happy to try to find you another Mustang similar to the one you have if there's not too much money involved in it. Otherwise, we had better forget it. With kindest regards, I remain very truly yours, Steve McQueen. Which is totally awesome. And this was just three years before McQueen's uh, untimely passing down to Mexico. He, He did pass away in 1980. Uh, but can you imagine getting a letter from Steve McQueen after a phone call and still saying no? 
Yeah, so I guess Bob Tiernan actually never responded to the letter. But, you know, reading the letter, I mean, McQueen does come off as a jerk. He's like, hey, I'll find you another Mustang as long as, like, I don't really have to pay too much money to help you out with that. <laughs> at the end of it, he's like, otherwise we'd better forget it. You're like the biggest movie star in the world. Like, you can't – you want the car, yeah. you can't help, you know. So, Sam, million-dollar question or multi-million-dollar question, where is the car today? And what happened just a couple months ago? Well – so the car, obviously, as we talked about, was um, put up for auction in Kissimmee. It was sold on January 10th, which, again, Louis and I watched. It was sold. It was put in as a no-reserve car. And I, I remember reading articles prior and of people trying to estimate what the value would be of the car. And with movie cars in particular, movie and TV show cars, it's pretty, pretty hard to get an idea of where this car was going to go for. Um so the Kiernan started off at $3,500, uh, saying, this has been in my family for 45 years. It's only been sold twice before for $3,500 each time it's sold. That's what my dad bought it for, so that's what we started the auction off at, and it went from there. How much did that car go for end of the day? $3.45 million before auction fees, bringing the total purchase price to an undisclosed buyer. Still don't know who. $3.74 million, making it the most expensive Mustang ever sold. Period. It just absolutely trumps Eleanor, the Gone from 60, or Gone in 60 Seconds car. It's I mean, not just, even close. Yeah. Stupid money. I mean, absolutely insane that car went for that much. And it's also not, which personally, I'm much more of a fan of it is in, in its as-is state, but like, you're buying a car that it's got dings, it's got scratches, it's got faded paint, it has rust underneath. It's not rotted out by any means, but it has rust. It was a used car from 1974 through 1980. A used it, in uh, northeastern <laughs> United States where snow and salt and I mean it. And if you watched the the Kissimmee auction, you know obviously there's a ton of fanfare for it. So there's a lot of up close um, when they had it in a glass box. They would have a guy just walking around showing you. I mean, paint was peeling, um, nicks everywhere, um, dents in the fenders. Like, I mean, the car, it's not like for $3.7 million you were buying a Bugatti or, you know, like a Koenigsegg or something like that. I mean, you're buying a, a essentially, not quite, but essentially a project car <laughs> mm-hmm. $3.74 million. But guess what? <laughs> That's the coolest $3.74 million Mustang in the world. Oh my God! Still sounded fantastic when they started it up and uh, rolled it out. Woo! God, that sounded good. Just go watch the movie. Well. Well. Just go watch the chase. (laughs) I was just gonna say in closing. I mean, we'll probably. Who knows? We might not see it for another forty years. But. True. It's a pretty badass car. Before we close, I do have one little thing I want to do, and that is. I have a little game because, uh, you know, I was just saying how hard it is for us to have any idea of how much it's going to cost for a movie car. So I just want to give you a couple. I just have a few of them here. A couple cars from famous movies that you might know. And I want you to just give me a guess on how much you think they went for at auction. Oh, I like this. All right. So let's start with uh, the easiest comp that we're going to get. The Gone in 60 Seconds car, the 67 Shelby Mustang GT500, the Eleanor. That sold in 2013 at auction. How much do you think that car went for? 
you might actually already know this one. This one's I don't know. This one was a little more publicized than some of these other ones. This was a real film use car. Yeah, yeah. All the one, cars I'm bringing up are, are film use cars. One point one million. Ooh, close. No, one million. Dang. I mean, hey, no, that's that's got aggressive. The, that is probably the closest you're gonna get. So the price is wrong, Bob. <laughs> all right, so here's another one. We talked about these cars earlier. The General Lee. So, like I said, there was over 300 wrecked in the filming of it. Um, at the end of the show, owned by CBS, at the end of the original run show, there was 18 General Lees left. So, at that time, yep. they were sold um, directly from CBS to private collectors in the $100,000 range. So, there's only been one that I could find that was like pretty reputable. Um, there was a confirmed sale. How much did that car go for? And this is kind of a trick question, but there there is one confirmed sale. How much do you think that car went for? Shout out to my boy Corn Dog, $250,000. $450,000. Now, the reason I said this was a trick question, there was a General Lee car that went up on eBay like years ago, and you might even remember this. Car like the bidding on eBay went to Almost $10 million. I think it was like $9.95 million for a General Lee car. Now, look for if you look that up and you can tell me if that was true or fake, I would love to hear it because all the articles are – there's no follow-up articles. People are like, oh, well, it's probably fake eBay accounts and they're still trying to figure out if it's real. have no idea. I don't think it was real, but you could have said anything and we'd have no idea. There's a guy by the name of Justin Cornett, a.k.a. Corndog. He knows. I'm pretty sure it's fake. I yeah I would think so. Okay. Um, speaking of another car very similar to one of the bullet cars from the Fast and the Furious franchise, the 1969 Dodge Charger sold in 2013. How much do you think that car went for? It was a 70 Dodge Charger. Well, that's not what they sold at the auction. <laughs> 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 I might have just transposed that wrong, but uh, no. That, they put it down as a 1969. This is from Fast and Furious, not the Fast and the Furious. Oh, Fast okay. Furious, you got me. Um, which is a 69 Charger in that movie. I don't know uh, which movie it was from. That I, would be the fourth one. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. 125,000. You're actually doing so much better at this than I thought you were. hundred like auctions. 105,000. It's a good deal. Not far off. All right. So let me <laughs> throw you another crazy one. Remember Herbie the Love Bug? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So that the 1963 Volkswagen Beetle sold in 2018. How much money did that go for? If you tell me six figures, I will lose my mind. How much did it go for? Ninety-nine thousand. Wrong. One hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars. Who pays that for a bug? Now here's what's crazy. All right. So the, obviously Herbie the Love Bug, the Beetle was the the car of that movie. There was another car that went for that and it went from that movie, a, a car that was in that movie that sold at auction in 2012 is the 1956 Ferrari 250 GT, an LWB Berlinetta. Any idea how much that car went for? 1.725 million. $6.7 million. God, I want that money. Which is crazy because the iconic car of that was the VW Beetle that went for 128. So, all right, I just got a couple more here for you. 
the DeLorean DMC-12 from Back to the Future sold at auction in 2011. How much did that car go for? Hmm. All decked out in the, the equipment and everything. Yeah, you know, flux capacitor, all that cool stuff. Hmm. Doc Brown's whip, what'd that go for? A hundred and five thousand. Man, you're starting to suck. Five hundred and forty one thousand dollars. That's asinine. <laughs> Just telling you. All right, so uh three Scott, more. fact check these. Three more here. Uh two of them are James Bond's cars. From Goldeneye, the 1965 Aston Martin DB5, sold in 2018. How much did that go for? This so is a six, much funny. This is a 1965 Aston Martin, just and in that James Bond film, so keep that in mind when you give me a number. Is it seven figures or six? It's one, seven figures. 1.75 million. Almost 2.6 million. That's wild. All right. What about the DB1? From do you know the story about the stolen Aston Martin from a, an airplane hangar in California? I do not. Do some research after we're done. Will do. Aston Martin DB1 uh, the, from the movie Spectre. What year is that 2016. Um, I did have it written down, and I don't know where it's at, so just – Okay. 2.86. $3.4 million. Dang. Right on par, and the reason I wanted to bring that one up is because obviously it's right there with the Mustang. Um, but again, like I've been telling you, wild numbers on some cars are worth a ton, some are worth none. It, it's just insane and really hard to gauge the value. The last one before we wrap all this up and do our outro and everything, the original from the TV show, George Barris. Batman I know this. Yes, I was hoping you were going to bring this up. How much did that sell for? I remember watching this live at Bear Jackson. I thought so, you would have, so I thought that's why I wanted to save this one to the end. Four point two million before buyer's fees. Four point six million total. Damn. Yes. Uh, sorry for swearing. Yes, you. Yep, you got that one right on on the money. Um, and I think I don't know when this list was updated, but from all my research, I'm pretty sure that's the eleventh most expensive movie car ever. Um. There were a bunch of cars from the 1971 film Le Mans that, you know, obviously were just insane supercars and Formula One cars that were sold. Um, I, that's why I didn't include them. I tried to just include cars yep. that, you know, people would know. So Hollywood ties. Louie, you want to take us out for this episode? Yeah. So I don't care still to this point. If you're giving me a blank check and I get to pick one of those cars that you just rattled off, I'm taking bullet. I mean, I want to beat Steve McQueen. I want the... Navy turtleneck, that tweed jacket with the weird elbow patches that is so unfashionable today, but so cool still. Uh, this is the car that would bring me back to that. Uh, and who knows? Like I said, we might never see it again. The buyer has not been revealed. It was a phone bidder. They were not in the area or the arena, I guess I should say, when it was sold. So it might never come across the public eye, but it came back. It had its return to glory and I hope whoever does have it, which they probably are, if they have a $4 million car, they're going to take good care of it. So, yeah. And one last thing before we go, I do want to bring it up cause I did kind of mention it earlier and forgot to come back to it. So the 2019 Mustang, if you thought, you know, you're, you would have to build a bullet yourself. I do want to say there is some good news for you. Ford did produce the 2019 year, and I don't know how much they continued of it, but uh, the Mustang Bullet. 
uh, which essentially was a performance package one, uh, like a GT Mustang, stepped down from the GT500. You could get it for about $50,000, I think, a little more. Offered in Highland Green, naturally, but they did end up offering it again in blue and black, but who really cares about those? Um, the car, you know, to keep true to the bullet, um, had a 5-liter Coyote engine and it had 480 horsepower and 420 foot-pounds of torque. Uh, big old Brembo six-piston brakes, 19-inch uh, torque thrust wheels. Uh, obviously, they weren't torque thrust. They were inspired by them, but they sure. had the the black-slash-carbon color with the chrome lip, just like the Bullet Mustang. The upgraded spring, sway bar, optimized traction stability control uh, to give it a little bit of a better of a handling package. They also removed the rear spoiler to accentuate the sloping deck lid and really give it that fastback look. And then – Again, to stay true to the bullet, they went with the blacked out, a larger blacked out front grill uh, to match with that 68 or, as we may suspect, a 67 front grill. And, you know, the rear panel was blacked out really just to keep with that. So if you missed out or you didn't have enough money to buy the $3.74 million Mustang for around $50,000 or whatever they're marked up to now in the collector market, uh, probably under a hundred thousand, you can get yourself into a 2019 Mustang Bullet and feel like Steve McQueen driving down uh, your everyday commute to work. For that same money, you could probably buy a 68 Fastback and do the necessary modifications to make it a Bullet replica. But you will not find those torque thrust wheels. You'll have to find a, a forward pattern torque thrust wheel and paint a charcoal gray. And on that note. This has been another yet successful but sexy installment of the Sam and Lou Intracast. Welcome back. We're here in Studio A. Thank you to the Sam and Lou for all that you guys did pulling together the Intracast, the one featuring on Bullet, which to me is one of the best car chase scenes ever captured on film. Um, thank you for you guys for all you put into that, and uh, I think we all definitely learned from this week's Intracast. Want to say again thank you to Porsche Mechanicsburg. They are headline sponsor, automotive sponsor for the Cars of Carlisle podcast. And with that, we invite you to uh, check them out. Porsche Mechanicsburg is part of the um, – they serve the, the greater Carlisle area, Mechanicsburg, Harrisburg, York, Camp Hill, all the surrounding areas. And they are the exclusive Porsche Center. And with that uh, – they are a proud member of the Faulkner Automotive Group, and that uh, group has been serving customers all throughout central Pennsylvania and throughout the entire state since 1932. So if you are from Carlisle and uh, have an interest, definitely check them out. They have a temporary facility right now where they're building a world-class new showroom. The temporary facility is adjacent at 6625 Carlisle Pike, Mechanicsburg. And with this, this new Porsche Center that's being built, it is going to be completed uh, likely in uh, probably late spring, early summer at this point of 2020. And just the level of service that they are already providing, uh, they have the Porsche complimentary pickup and delivery of your vehicle, Porsche loaner vehicles. Uh, they're going to have, again, state-of-the-art uh, once the facility itself is open, but definitely they welcome you to come check things out now. And with that, they have a, a wide variety of both new as well as Porsche certified and pre-owned. 
So definitely stop by and take a look and uh, meet with our partners at Porsche Mechanicsburg. So I owe you an answer on the bullet trivia question. So at the beginning of the show, I'd ask you, what is the engine size in that 68 Ford Mustang fastback that Steve McQueen handled all through the streets of San Francisco? And the answer is a 390 cubic inch, 325 horsepower V8. And uh, that was made into a four-speed transmission. At the time, Ford, uh, as you know now, Ford loaned two Mustang GT Fastbacks, and uh, they were integral in making the 11-minute uh, car chasing. In fact, I uh, did some Wikipedia research. It was 10 minutes and 53 seconds, to be exact. And uh, Ford Motor Company lent those two Fastbacks to Warner Brothers Studios, and that was all part of the, the promotional agreement. So the answer, 325 horsepower, rated 390 cubic inch V8. So thank you guys so much for being part of the show. We can't wait to have you come back next week, being part of this family, being part of the Cars of Carlisle, uh, the whole the whole group. We welcome you and are so glad you take a, a mental road trip each week with us and learn a little something new, have a little fun. And wherever you are, whether it's you're waiting for an appointment or you're on lunch break or on a mechanics creeper underneath your vehicle in the evenings or whatever it is, we're glad that you listen in and, and thank you so much for being part of the show. Continue to put the word out. And we'll do our best to bring you the very finest in automotive entertainment. So for now, on behalf of the Cars of Carlisle team, I say drive well, be well, and take care. <laughs>